Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, Welcome to church this evening. Um, I'm excited about tonight because we are, this is part two of uh, the two-part series we've been doing on trust. Last week, we talked about trusting God himself. We went through uh, Jeremiah 12, Jeremiah 17, and then Psalm 73, and we talked about um, how God wants to infiltrate our lives and maybe into the areas that it's possible that we've closed off too. So um, to infiltrate our lives, to show us that he's trustworthy. And uh, so tonight I'm excited about part two. This is trusting the process. Trusting the process. And we will be flipping through scripture like we did last week. I did not preface that. So just so you are ready for that. Uh, My question for you is, do you trust God in your process? Do you trust God in your process? And here's what I mean by that. God has created each of us as individuals, and we have our own walk with God, right? We have our own relationship with him. We have our own journey. It is individual. God works in process. We don't come out of the womb uh, running, right? We have to learn to roll, then we crawl, then we stand, then we walk, then we run, jump, etc., etc. But there's a process to all of that. You know, when God told Noah it was going to rain, it didn't start raining in that very second that he spoke that. It actually took a a while for that to transpire. When God spoke to Abraham and told him that his wife Sarah would have a baby, in the moment God told Abraham that was not the moment that Sarah got pregnant, right? That took some time. King David was anointed to be king, but the moment he was anointed was not the moment that he was crowned king officially, right? This concept of process, you know, I, th- I feel like when we, when we hear that word, uh, we, we maybe think of a, a younger generation sometimes, typically. And that, that's not all the time, but sometimes. Because, you know, you're figuring things out, you're figuring out who you are and what you want to do in your life. And while that's absolutely a process, we are people of process. And God's process doesn't discriminate with age. So it is for everybody in every generation of all ages, we are not really ever done processing until Jesus himself comes back or we go meet him in glory. We are not done. We are in process all the time. And I wanted to bring this out. This is... um my devotional that I've had. It's a daily devotional, a full year. And I've had this uh, since I was 18. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. 
and some of you may, may, know, may know what this is or have it and use it, I have not found a devotional I love more than this one. There's not one that tops it. So just, I'm not, this is not sponsored, but just if you're looking for one, this is a really great one. Uh, I got this from my high school Bible teacher when I graduated high school. I've had this, I'm 30 now, I've had this for 12 years, and this has been with me from my entire adult life through many seasons. And I love it, not just because I love what's in it and how it breaks down scripture in such a way that I just haven't found in any other devotional. Um, I love it because it represents my process. And it's tattered. I don't know if you, you can't tell from here. There's stains on it. There's dog bite marks. Like, um, there's a, page, a whole page missing. I don't know where it went. Um, it, there's underlines and there's words and there's highlights and doggy ears. On, and it, it's just, it, it's, ta it's pretty, you know, tattered. But I love this because what I get to do is I get to read through it and I see a highlight or an underline that meant something to me 12 years ago. Or I look at something and I see what God was speaking to me six years ago. And I look at it and I read it again and I can see that I've made notes in the margins and I can see what the Holy Spirit was doing in me two years ago. And I get to, it's a cool representation that I'm really thankful to have that I get to see the process that God has taken me on and the journey that I've been walking with him thus far. And many of you may have something like that, whether it's your Bible or a devotional or, or something where you get to look at it and you say, this has been with me. What, what, ha what has God done in my life since then? We are all people of process all the time. We should never get to a point where we say, I am done growing learning, absorbing, being taught by the Holy Spirit till the day we die. Uh, Hetty Brooks is a prime example of just hunger, continual hunger at 92 years old. That should be us in our process with God, I'm continually hungry for what you want, what you're bringing me through. So we're gonna break down process and specifically how to trust God in our process. So everyone, uh, if you could turn to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, we're gonna walk through this scripture and this, this story that you know, we've all heard many, many times over. We're gonna, we're gonna look at verse 41. This is when Jesus is a young boy in the temple, okay? Verse 41. Every year, 
Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And he says to them, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Now, this is a story we've heard many, many times. And this is the scripture, verse 52, that we all pray over our kids, right? That you would grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. If we put ourselves just for a second in that story, you know, Jesus is 12 years old. He's not four. He understood that every year they go to the Passover festival, that they all leave, to, they travel together, they leave together. That is what they do. That's a known thing. So when he didn't go with the group, naturally his parents are like, this is not new to him. Something, did something happen? So they're frantically for three days looking for him. And they come to Jerusalem and they finally see him just asking questions, chilling, listening, which is not in and of itself a bad thing. So when they come up to him, dude, you know this is what we do every year. Do you know what we've been through for three days searching for you? What are you doing? And he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Excuse? <laughs> what? What does that mean? They're like, I don't understand what you're saying, but get in the car. Like, you, don't smart mouth me. Like, this is not what we're doing. Do you know what we've been through for three days? No, and oh no, that's not what we're doing. So he goes back. And it says in verse 51, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Now I want to remember this, okay? We're going to skip over to John chapter two. John chapter two. So just we're burning that story in our brain, going over to John chapter 2. Again, a story that I'm sure most of us have heard. But this is the story of the wedding at Cana. We're going to start in verse 1 and read a few verses and then, and then stop and talk about it. 
The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. This is very important. That's purposeful. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited. They're the afterthought, though. It's true. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And he looks at her and says, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And so what Jesus does is he obviously fills the jars with water and then turns them all into wine and everybody is amazed. And it says in scripture that this is actually his first miracle that he did, that he performed in public. His very first miracle. It's important to note that Mary is mentioned before Jesus and his disciples as a guest at this wedding. And that is significant because in biblical times, the first person, meant, person? Nope. person mentioned is, is kind of the head honcho. They're, the, they're the, the, the person. Everybody else is kind of secondary to that person. And Mary gets kind of a bad rap in this text, and it's a little bit unfair. Because sometimes this is read like Mary is the nagging mother that makes Jesus begin his ministry early, and then he just does it. You know, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Because Mary, throughout her life, has always been very, very submissive to the Holy Spirit. When the angel came down and told her, you're going to be pregnant and bear the son, son of God, the savior of the world. After she questioned the logistics of it a bit, she was like, be as, as you have said. Let it be as you have said. And, and then had to face ridicule of the people and continued to live in submission when she had to ride in the desert at eight or nine months pregnant. Mm -mm. You, can, you can do that. I will stay here. I'm not going to participate in that. But she did it and she was submissive when they had to get up and flee to Egypt. She did it. And in the, the stories that we read about Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was very submissive to the Holy Spirit and to what God was, what position he was putting her in at the time. So when we think back to John 2, it says that Mary stored all of these things in her heart Knowing what we know about her, we can say that she was a forerunner in trusting God. She trusted him. And maybe it was really difficult for her sometimes to do that, but she did it. 
and she submitted to him because she trusted him. And so when she looks at the servant and says, do whatever he tells you, she's not trying to like micromanage the situation and boy, you're gonna do what I tell you because I'm your mother and you're gonna start your ministry early because they're out of wine. It's so much more significant than that. At this point, she's the most important person because Jesus had not yet really performed a miracle before and he was continuing to submit to his parents in obedience that we read in uh, John chapter two, I mean in Luke two. And she continued to store all of these things in her heart and Jesus was continuing to live under submission until that baton had been passed. So when she says to the servant, do whatever he tells you to do, she's not saying, Jesus, I'm your mom, do what I've said. She's saying, I've stored all of these things in my heart. I'm aware of who you are. I know what you can do. And as a spiritual authority at this point in your life, I am telling you that it is time. She wasn't saying, here's how you do it. She was telling the servant, the baton is in his hands. The ball is in his court. Do what he tells you. And he did it. Why? Because Mary trusted God and was submissive and obedient to, to him throughout her life. And those things are generational. She was able to discern the timing. So we read further in verse 13. This is my favorite part of this whole thing. It's when Jesus comes in and clears the temple. We're gonna read this very quickly. It says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration and I wanna stop right there because in Luke 2, Jesus was in the temple during the Passover celebration when he was 12 years old, right? So here he is again, just performed his first miracle. It's almost time for the Passover celebration. So he goes to Jerusalem. Verse 14, in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Now this marked a very significant transition for Jesus in the process and in his journey to the cross. This was his first public act of ministry after this miracle. And it all came full circle for him because the last time that he mentioned, that we can read, that he mentioned being in his father's house and calling the temple his father's house was when he was 12. And now he's 30. And he has just performed his first miracle and he goes out and he drives out all the cheaters and the people in the temple who are defiling his father's house. 
Jesus did not come to earth to debate with spiritual leaders, although he did do that. He, was, he did not come to earth to be thought of as wise beyond his years. That was not the purpose in which he came. He first had to restore the purpose of his father's house, and he could not have done that when he was 12. He lacked what he needed to fulfill the purpose of God and chose to fully submit to being human and walk out the process. And we're talking about trusting the process. And there's a couple of things that we can unpack here in this story. And there's a formula that doesn't make sense to math people, okay? But it is a formula. It's not my gifting. The formula is this. Trust equals submission, which equals obedience. Trust equals submission, which equals obedience. We will never obey whom we're not submitted to, and we will never submit to whom we do not trust. Jesus had desire and passion and zeal when he was 12, but he wasn't ready to cleanse the temple. He may have been thought of as wise beyond his years and received a lot of flattery, but that was not the purpose in which he was sent. He may have had strong desire, but he had to cleanse the temple. And so what he had to do was submit for the next 18 years. He had to trust his father with his passion and his desire to be in the house of God. He had to submit to the humility of becoming a human in order to walk out his purpose. A heart that is submitted to God will produce a person who will obey him. But we can't talk about obedience before first talking about submission because they are different. And so that's what I want. I want to break down submission really quickly. Before Jesus could grow in wisdom, stature, and favor, he had to first submit. And then it says he had to be obedient to his parents. Now, I know we're not all in that season. Nonetheless, We are to be submitted to God and obedient to him throughout our process. The definition of submission means to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. So in this case, as believers, to submit to the will of God and his authority in our life. And it can be hard to submit to something when it's new. It can be hard to submit to the process when it's brand new territory. Uh, I I love the story that Tim talks about, about when uh, this building was being built. 
And he tells this story about how, you know, his, his goal and his vision is that we would be debt-free, and we are, the, the church is. And he's led us in that, but what he, he had a plan for how he was going to uh, get this money in so we could build this building. So he talks about how he, he built, he had people make this giant thermometer, and it had 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, all the way up to 2 million. And we were just gonna color in when we received that much money. And what he talks about is we had no money so he, for this building at that point. So he's walking across the parking lot and he is, uh, has this giant thermometer in hand and he says that the Holy Spirit just stops him and tells him, that's not what you're gonna do. That's not a very good idea. And the Holy Spirit questioned the process in which he had planned to get this money in for this building. And so what he talks about is how actually what the Holy Spirit said is you need to work in steps. You don't need two million right now. You need 10,000. We need money for heat and air. We need money for plumbing, etc. The first step is what he had to take. And then he had to trust God through the process that he would actually provide what we needed for this place. And he obviously did. Your measure for today is what you need. And we get ahead of ourselves and we're like, I'm gonna take five steps forward when really we're taking one step at a time. Because he gives you what you need for today. And I'm grateful, you know, that he submitted to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's much smarter than we are. Much smarter. A way that we can submit in the process is we can submit to timing. Because again, when we look at the story of Jesus, we look at passion, desire, wisdom, zeal, all the things that are awesome and necessary, but what he needed to do was do the things in the right timing. And to be honest with you, there's just really no substitute for time because time gives us perspective. Jesus died on the cross. He seemingly failed. And every man and woman who followed him wholeheartedly were sad and confused. And if I can speculate, they probably have had some sort of an identity crisis. You know, like, what are we doing now and who am I? But then the third day came, and as it turns out, he was alive the whole time. In fact, he was defeating Satan on our behalf. They needed to wait 
just a few days to fully understand what had just happened. Time gives us perspective, and we are often quick to judge moments based on limited information because we have limited spiritual understanding. First Corinthians 13 says, uh, 9 through 10 says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. We don't know the end from the beginning, but God uses time as a teacher. And what Satan will often do is he will try to expedite you through your process. And that's what he tried to do with Jesus when Jesus was fasting. He did not eat for 40 days. Scripture tells us he was at his peak hunger level, peak fatigue. He was at his weakest point physically. The devil tempted him with food. And when that didn't work, he tempted him with expedition to give him full authority of the earth. Because Jesus had not yet taken back the keys and it actually was his authority that he could have done that. That was a real offer. He could have bypassed pain. He could have bypassed grief and a gruesome death. And the temptation was to speed through the process so that it seemingly would be more comfortable and easier. But if Jesus had not died and resurrected, he would not have fulfilled the purpose in which he was sent to earth. What he knew was that he was already going to have the keys, but he had to continue to trust God through the process that was the journey to the cross. Ada, our daughter, uh, the other day we were telling, she had a big pile of laundry in her room, and we told her, you know, hey, can you go hang up your clothes in your room? And just the tood, I mean, I, it, oh, my legs hurt. Oh, I, I'm so tired. Oh, I mean, just and on and on. Jason and I were like, oh, I, you know how many piles of laundry I do in a day? Um, and she kept saying, it's going to take forever. It's going to take so long. So we were like, you could literally be doing halfway through already. You know, you, you, if you just started, but, um, but we we're like, just go fast. Just do it quickly. And she goes, but if I do it quickly, I'll do it wrong. I was like, uh, that could be true. Just, but go do it. You know, uh, just, it just has to be done. So you have to go do it. The goal of our process is not to get through it quickly. It's to walk through it intentionally. And the temptation will be to speed through the process. What keeps us from trusting the process? Truly and honestly, it's a lot of things, but what I really want to touch on is fear. What keeps us from trusting the process? Fear. And there's three questions quickly that I want to ask you. Is your trust in God contingent upon this, your success of the thing he's asking you to do? Is fear of you failing causing you to doubt the voice of God? Are you expecting your fear to go away before you decide to trust God? If you said yes to any of these questions, you might be letting fear control your obedience to God. Fear produces impatience 
and insecurity. Fear is at the root of our impatience and lack of trust in the process. Patience is a virtue, as the saying goes, but it's actually a fruit of the Spirit. And what would happen if we viewed patience with the same level of importance that we do love or peace or kindness or self-control? Fear that maybe where God has us right now isn't truly significant. We might have a fear that we're going to stumble and fall, or we have a fear that we won't be viewed as successful because our process looks different than someone else's. And I wanna just point this out. God is bigger than the American dream. It's wonderful, and I'm all for it. But there's so much more. Success is a relative and abstract concept because success looks different to different people. One person versions of, version of success may look like a lot of money while another person, person's version of success looks like raising a, a bunch of kids and teaching them in the way they need to go and that is the most successful thing that they could do. Everybody's got a different view on what success is. You probably at some point in your life, in our life, will fail in our effort to produce what we think we need to. But our success is never promised in the supposed destination. Most often, our success is found in the process of walking out our obedience. If we wait until we know we will be successful or wait until we aren't afraid to say yes to God, we will be waiting forever. And then we will leave a legacy of I wish I would have instead of I may have failed this side of heaven, but I gave you my yes, and you met me at every turn. And on this side of heaven, we probably will never know all the success we had, because some of it may look like failure down here. We have no idea what God made happen when we trusted him and then fell or we didn't see what we worked hard for come to fruition. Get up again. Try it again. Trust God again. We do not know the end from the beginning like we just talked about. Our goal is not success. Our goal is obedience. Trust and fear are generational, and we get to choose what our legacy is. You get to choose whether you trust God despite your fear. As we end, I just wanna say this as an encouragement. Most mentors and leaders that I know have had to step out in faith into unknown territory at one time or another. 
in order to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit was leading them to do. And stepping out in faith doesn't necessarily mean doing something grand. It could be stopping something. It could be waiting. It could be just standing firm. But as imperfect people, we're not ever gonna be imperfect in our obedience because naturally we're human. But comfortable living is never promised in the life as a disciple of Jesus. What we are promised multiple times in scripture is that God will provide everything we need for each season of life. We just have to resolve beforehand that we will trust the trustworthy one because he loves to come through for his kids. He is trustworthy. And when we submit to the process, we are showing him that we trust him and then he will walk with us through it. So I just wanna encourage you as we end this, this series on trust that your process is individual and God is taking you through it. And he will strengthen you and encourage you and fill you with the Holy Spirit with everything that you need to be obedient in what he's called you to do. Everyone stand with me, please. I'm gonna pray over you. God, thank you that you are so trustworthy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you remind us of the truth. And so I pray over all of us that we would be reminded of how trustworthy you are, God. We love you. We're grateful for you. We put our life in your hands. We put our children's lives in your hands. And we trust you despite fear. We trust you despite questions. And we thank you for your presence that goes before us, that is with us all the time, that never leaves us. So I ask God for everybody listening and in this room that we would receive a greater measure of your spirit, that Holy Spirit, you would fill every single person in this room with encouragement. I pray over every mom and dad who is concerned over their children's lives, that Holy Spirit, you would remind them of the truth of what you've spoken over them. And as they continue to submit to your process and hand their children over to you, they understand that you are a perfect father who loves each of us deeply and who loves our kids more than we ever could. So we trust you with our children. I just feel that very deeply right now that those of you in a position where you're having to watch your child walk through something, he is asking you to submit their lives 
fully to him so that he can do a greater work in them than we ever could. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for that promise. Thank you as we go through this week that you remind us how trustworthy you are. And I ask for a representation of that for everybody. That Holy Spirit, you would confirm it. We love you, God. We're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.